0: Um, so, um, for those of you who haven't been with us, we are, we are in the middle of this series that I've titled Rooted, um, because we are, we are looking at what our church wants to be, what we want to be as a church family, um, and that's kind of what we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at our, our vision, which, and here's what we want to be. We want to be a church that proclaims Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be the church that is constantly proclaiming Christ everywhere we go, and we don't want to just make converts and then leave them on their own. We want to see them raised up into mature followers of Christ. People who are grounded and firmly rooted in their faith. That's our goal. That's what we want to become. We want to be that kind of a church. So then the question I asked, I asked uh, our people is, uh, how, how are we going to get there? And that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is, is how we actually become that kind of a church. How do we become a church that is constantly proclaiming Christ, that is building people up into maturity, that is always proclaiming the scriptures and asking God to send his Holy Spirit? That's what we've been asking. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at at these things that aren't just a list of things that we need to check off, but instead we want them to be disciplines that are ingrained in who we are, like things that are very, very fundamental, very core to who we are. Okay, so we've looked at things like prayer. We want to be a people who, whenever they talk about Christian Fellowship Church, they're like, man, those people are praying all the time. That's that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that is marked by the ministry of the word, people who are constantly wanting to teach people what the Bible says. And not only that, but we want to be people who want to know more about what the Bible says, about what the Bible teaches, about who Jesus is. We want to know more. We want to grow in that. And then last week we talked about a love for one another. We want to be a church that is marked by a radical love for each other. Okay, so that's where we've been so far. And we have two more roots that we're going to look at. These things that we're grounded in to help us grow into the church that God would have us to become. And this week, this week, we get to talk about worship. Worship. So I want to ask you all, what is worship? What is worship? See, because if you're like most Americans, myself included, you instantly think music, right? You can be honest, like that's what most people think. If they think worship, they they relate that to music. Um, But I'm going to challenge that concept just a little bit today. Um, Because I think that that view of music is far, far too narrow whenever we talk about worship. Entirely too narrow. See, uh, do I think that that's part of worship? Sure I do. Of course I do. Yeah, of course it's part of worship, but it's just barely scratching the surface. Like if worship, if worship was a thing, whenever we talk about music, music is right here and worship is all of this. So, my goal today is to challenge your concept of worship. I want to challenge your concept of worship a little bit today so that we have a more holistic uh, and actually a biblical view of worship. So, in order to do that, I would like to show you two verses. Two verses. We're going to be in Romans today, so if you would like to follow along, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you would like to follow along with me, I'd encourage you to take your Bible, open it up, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Would you all stand with me as we read God's Word today? Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So, Again, I'm just going to tell you again, my goal is to challenge your concept of worship this morning. I want to challenge your concept of worship. And since we got to celebrate with our kids, we're going to be moving along pretty quick here, okay? So my goal today is to challenge your concept. I'm going to do that by showing you three requirements. From Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to show you three requirements for true biblical worship. Three requirements for true biblical worship. First, biblical worship requires a completely devoted life. Biblical worship requires a completely devoted life life. Okay. Verse one there. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. This is your true act of worship. So what is your true act of worship? Well, first of all, we need to understand what they're talking about whenever they say the word worship. Okay. Now I'm going to be a little nerdy for just a minute. And for those of you who know me well, you know that that's easy for me to do. I'm going to be a little nerdy for just a minute, okay? And if you don't care about Greek and Hebrew, you're going to not care about this at all. So feel free to tune me out for just a few minutes. But make sure you tune back in at the end because this is important. All right? What in the world are we talking about whenever we say this true act of worship? That's what, that's what this translation says. Christian Standard says that. If you're an NIV reader, it says your spiritual worship. New King James says your spiritual service of worship. And then your King James readers, you see reasonable service. So which is it? Are we talking about reasonable service or are we talking about a true act of worship? Which one are we talking about? Because we get these different translations here. What, what are we talking about? I actually love what the Amplified Version does with this. Um, I, I'm not typically a big proponent of the Amplified Version. It's fine, but it's it's kind of a it's almost a commentary. So it, which is fine. But it's not bad. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you guys get it. Okay. But I love what they did with this particular passage because they did both. I love it. They actually said reasonable service and spiritual worship. And I love it because it's like, we're not going to make a decision on what this really means. We're just going to ride the fence all the way. Um, we're not going to be at all divisive. We're just going to pick them up both both ways, and we're just going to hope it sticks. So which one is right, though? Which one is right? Is it, is it spiritual worship? Is it, is it reasonable service? What is this, what is this supposed to mean? Um, and since you all asked me, I'm glad you did. We get to talk about the Greek and the Hebrew, so, in the Bible, whenever you read your Bible, there are four words. Well, primarily four words that are translated in English as worship. Okay? There's four words. There's two Hebrew and there's two Greek. And, again, stay with me for a minute because it will, we'll tie this back together and you'll see why it's important if I do an even halfway decent job. So, in the Greek, there's two words. The first word is, is proskuneo. Proskuneo. Okay? And this word means to worship or to pay homage or to, it can even indicate kneeling down. Like, you're getting down to worship. Okay so that's that's the first word the second word is latreia latreia and this word means worship ministry or service all right, So those are the two Greek words, and you see how they're different. One indicates a kneeling down, one indicates more of a service. Okay, So you can see the distinction there. In the Hebrew, likewise, there are also primarily two words that are translated in English as, as worship. You have the first one, and I'm going to butcher these words, y'all, because I am not a Hebrew expert. But I'm going to do my best because I get to use that flimmy thing again. So it's, it's, the first word is choa. Chawah, okay? And this word, this word chawah means to bow down low or to prostrate oneself. Like fall on your face is what this word means. Okay? The second word is abed, abed. okay? And this word means to work, serve, or labor. It can even carry the idea of like cultivating or plowing a field. And every time I say cultivating now, I think of Byron Potts because I heard him say cultivator. And it's like the cutest thing in the world. So if you see Byron, ask him to say cultivator. Sorry, Joan Lacey. Um, so... Anyway, so we get these, these two words, and you see how they could kind of line up, right? Like, w- one in the Greek indicates kneeling down. One in the Hebrew indicates prostrating oneself. One in the Greek means service. One in the Hebrew has this idea of service. So you see how they could line up. And in my mind, they should. But in the Bible, they don't. Ha, yeah, isn't that great? You would think they line up. Um, I just found one example that I want to share with you. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's been tempted by Satan. And whenever Satan tempts him, he says no no, no uh uh-uh. uh and he says this. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 10, he says Jesus it says it says then Jesus told him, "Go away Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him." Okay. So he says, "Worship the Lord your God and serve only him." Now, in the greek here what matthew says is proskuneo which is the one that means to kneel down and worship that that's proskuneo okay which means that if i were thinking this through and i was looking and i was anticipating what the what the hebrew word that he now has written in greek is i would expect it to be the word that meant to prostrate oneself but it's not Huh, would you look at that what he says instead is he uses the word he uses the word abid, which means to work, serve, or labor. However, when Matthew renders this, he says, worship or bow down, kneel down. Now, the reason this is so important, and the reason we just talked about these words that I can't pronounce, the reason we just did that is because we need to understand the way that a first century Christian and the way a first century Jew would have thought. See, we like to categorize things, and we put them in our nice, neat boxes where we have... We have one, one thing over here, and then we have another thing over here. It's like, okay, well, I've got my, my worship life, my church life over here, and then I have my, my, my everyday and the mundane life over here. And we like to separate these out into nice, pretty categories that we can wrap our minds around. But guess what the Bible doesn't do? The Bible does not separate life out into nice, pretty categories like that. The Bible says, you know what? This, this is worship, but this is worship. The whole thing. Like your service, your reasonable service is worship. Your life is to be seen as an act of worship. See, we we like to separate them out, but the Bible doesn't. And first century Christians didn't have that kind of a concept. They saw life as worship. That's worship. It's the everyday and the mundane, like the way you go about your job on Tuesday is your act of service. That's your worship the way you go pick your kids up from school on a Thursday. Some of you are thinking, ah, there's not much worshipful about that. Like, that's your true act of worship. See, this this is where we need to break down some of these categories and stop seeing, well, okay, I have this over here, which is worship. Instead, what we need to start seeing is that our lives are supposed to be lived out as an act of worship to God. Every area of our lives. See, because what Paul says here, when he talks about this true act of worship, he doesn't say it's, okay, well, it's having a great attitude or a great feeling whenever we sing a particular song. That's not what he says. He doesn't say it's being happy as you listen to the radio as you're driving down the highway. That's not what he says either. He doesn't even say, you know what, it's when you gladly share the gospel with a stranger. Are those things acts of worship? Sure, I think they could be. But is that what worship is? Oh, no. Oh no, worship is much bigger than that. Paul, he says, he says your true act of worship, your true act of worship is presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Your body as a living sacrifice. Now, as soon as a first century Christian or Jew would have heard this, they would have instantly pictured an animal carcass being laid on an altar because that's what a sacrifice was, right? You slaughtered the animal on the altar, offered up to God. That was what they would have thought of. But Paul obviously isn't telling his hearers, well, you need to resemble these animal carcasses. That wouldn't be good, would it? So that's not what he was talking about. Instead, he says living sacrifices. But really, that's an oxymoron. Those two things don't go together, right? It's like the jumbo shrimp thing. Okay, they just don't go together. Yeah, somebody thought that was funny. I had another one, but I won't talk about my good looks today. So mostly cuz Rod was up here before and he's way better looking. So this is the oxymoron, right? It's it's a living sacrifice. A sacrifice needed to die though. See, but here's what we believe. Here's what we believe at Christian Fellowship Church. We believe that that God God came and even though we were sinners, he said, "You know what? You can die to yourself. You can die to your sin, your shame, your guilt. You can die to all that and you can live in Christ." This is the picture Paul is giving these people. Like you are a living because you're alive in Christ, sacrifice because you laid your life down. A living sacrifice. And that's what Paul is telling them here. In living that life of sacrifice in service or in worship to Jesus, that is your true act of worship. That is your reasonable service. That's what it means. So essentially what Paul and the rest of Scripture is teaching is that worship is a life radically and completely devoted to the service of King Jesus. That's true biblical worship. A completely devoted life. Okay? Second, Second requirement, biblical worship requires a completely changed mind. A completely changed mind. You get down to verse 2 of Romans 12, and it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we get both this negative and this positive. And I told you, I've got, don't worry, y'all, I've got more Greek I want to talk about because some of these words are so good, okay? We get a negative and a positive. The first one, we get the negative. It says, do not be conformed, okay? This word is, is, the, is the Greek word schema, The Greek word schema. Anybody, can you pick up what word we get from schema? Schematic. Right. The scheme. The schematics. That's what we pick up from this word schema. In other words, what Paul is saying here as he writes this is he says, don't fall into the blueprint of the world. Don't fall into the blueprint of this age. So he says, you want to practice biblical worship? Okay. What's shaping your thoughts? What schematic are you using to build your thoughts? What is shaping you? Now, I know that this one is oftentimes picked on in church, but is it movies and TV? And the reason it's always picked on in church is because it's a real problem. Are you being shaped by movies and TV? I found this interesting that in 2016, the New York Times researched this very thing, how much TV people watch, and they estimated that the average American watches five hours and four minutes of TV every single day. Five hours and four minutes of television Every single day. What do you think is shaping people's thoughts? Okay, That's like a hot button topic. Let's talk about social media for a minute. Well, according to one source, the average person spends two hours and 22 minutes scrolling through social media every single day. Two hours, 22 minutes. And for young people in the room, guess what? It's way worse for you. Like, it's well over three hours for the young people in the room. By young people, I'm talking my age and younger, even though some of our young people are like, you're not young. So, well over three hours. Well over three hours every single day that young people are looking at social media. Now, just so you know, if you're older in the room, like, you're not excluded from this either because they found that people in the age bracket of 55 to 64, they are looking at over an hour of social media every single day. Like, every day of the week. At least an hour on social media. So I ask you again, what is shaping your thoughts? What schematic are you using to build your life? What framework or what blueprint are you using? Christianity Today, they did the same research. Now, again, a lot, of, a lot of numbers here. But Christianity Today found that only 19% of Christians reported that they read their Bible every day. 19%. That's less than one out of five read their Bible every single day. And if that's you, I'm not trying to pick on you. Just understand, if we aren't building our life on the truth of God's word, we're building it on something else. What schematic are you using? But that got even worse because less than 50% of Christians said that they read their Bible for themselves on their own at least once a week. Less than 50% are picking up their Bible and reading it one time a week. What schematic are you using to build your life? Are you being conformed to this age? No worries, there is a positive side, so don't be conformed to this age. But instead, he says, be transformed. Be transformed. And this is another fun Greek word. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. Um, it's, it's the word that is often is sometimes translated as transfigured. But it's, it's a, you all know what a metamorphosis is, right? You all seen a caterpillar? Yeah, okay, fun story. In my last church, we had, kind of like we have right out here, there's this little flower bed right outside these windows. We had a little flower bed like that there too. And the guy who planted the flowers, he planted milkweed which isn't a terribly attractive flower, okay? At least I don't think so. Some of you are like, I love milkweed. I'm sorry if I insulted you, okay? But he planted milkweed, and I didn't know why. I thought, why are you planting a weed? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. But do you all know what eats milkweed? Caterpillars. Specifically, the kind that turns into the monarch butterfly. So that's why he planted milkweed, And I loved it. It actually turned into a really fun thing for me and my kids because we would show up to church on a Sunday morning and outside you'd see the caterpillars one week. Next week you come and we counted out at least five or six of these little cocoons, the the chrysalis. Um, by the way, the portal of chrysalis is chrysalises, so I'm not wrong. I Google it. Um, we found all these chrysalises hanging down off of the overhang, and they would, they would love it. They would watch these things, and they would build their little their little chrysalis, and then they'd be, merge, and they'd just have this empty chrysalis hanging there like, oh, they're a butterfly. So it was so much fun. But it actually made for a really cool picture, a really cool picture of what happens whenever we come to know Christ. Like, it's not some minor alteration. That's not what God calls for. God calls for a radical and a drastic metamorphosis, like a radical change. As a matter of fact, whenever the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it dies. Did you know that? True story. It actually digests itself. That sounds disgusting, I know, but that's what happens. It gets into its little chrysalis, and it digests itself. They say that inside of that cocoon, it's just like a soup. That's all that's there. I know that sounds disgusting, but it turns into a butterfly, isn't that amazing? That caterpillar goes into its cocoon, dies, and comes out something completely different. What an awesome picture of the gospel. What an awesome picture. And Paul here is not saying we need some minor alteration. He says we need a complete life change, something that is fundamentally different. And, that, and this is what worship, a completely changed mind, this is, this is worship. It's a completely changed mind that leads to a completely devoted life. We have to be radically changed. And I love that it actually talks about it happening in the mind of a believer. That's what happens. I often try to be careful because I don't want to make the Christian faith an intellectual faith. Like, you just need to know more and you'll be more saved. Uh, I, that's a terrible th- way to think. Okay? So I want to be careful about making this into an intellectual faith. But Paul here very clearly says that this happens by when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds. And the word minds there means minds. It's the intellect or the reason. When it's transformed, it's changed. So he's saying that to be transformed, you need to change the way you think. Worship, worship then is not primarily an emotional thing. Worship is primarily a mental thing. Am I worshiping God with my life? Look, I love, I love the feel-good songs as much as anybody that barely scratches the surface of worship. Barely scratches the surface because Paul says that worship is grounded in the mind. So, how do we come up to this metamorphosis? Well, the answer is we're actually back in verse 1 at the very beginning. It says, in, the view, in view of the mercies of God. Or if you're a King James reader, it says, by the mercies of God. Which is maybe a better translation here. Because literally what it says, is, it says, through the, through the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God. How do do our minds get transformed? It's by the mercies of God. Like, it takes an act of God. I've told you all, I think I'm pretty smart. I'm not smart enough to transform your mind. That takes an act of God. Like, everything about us needs to be transformed by the mercies of God. So how do we do that practically? How do we affect that? Because we can't control God. We can't force him to do it. Well, I'm glad you asked again. Okay. Okay. The way I think that we do this is by asking ourselves, what does, my lof- what does my life look like as a result of the cross? You know, you all saw the bracelets go around. I don't know if they still go around as much, but the WWJD, like what would Jesus do? I know that's kind of, it may be kind of cheesy or kind of novel at this point, but it's a good question to ask. Okay, the question I like to ask is, what should my life look like as a result of the cross? And you can ask that in any area of your life. Like, what should my parenting look like as a result of the cross? What should my work ethic look like as a result of the cross? What should my friends look like as a result of the cross? How should I use my free time as a result of the cross? What hobby should I entertain as a result of the cross? Like, every area of your life, how should it look as a result of what Jesus did on the cross in view of the mercies of God? And when we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds, by looking at the cross, then we have a chance to live our lives as this living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But first, our minds need to be changed. We need a whole new schematic. Build our lives on something completely different. So biblical worship requires a completely devoted life, a completely changed mind. And finally, biblical worship requires a completely submissive will. Verse 2 goes on. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I told you, I don't like making it into an intellectual faith. We don't just change our minds so that we can know more. We don't just change our minds so that we can puff ourselves up and think we're smarter than everybody else, right? Look, I've been around a lot of seminarians. You all know I'm Many of you know anyway. I'm I'm I am a seminary student myself, so I've been around a lot of seminarians, and I, I admit I've fallen into this trap at times. Um, but there are a lot of seminarians out there who know a whole lot, but they seem to forget about Jesus somewhere along the way. It it happens, and it's really kind of sad. It's not kind of sad; it's very sad. They have all the knowledge in the world, but they seem to lose sight of the goal. Like Jesus is the goal. Jesus is what we're chasing after, okay? So we seek transformation of our minds, not just so that we can be smarter than the next guy or so that we could write something cool and post it on Facebook. No, 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 that's not why we seek more knowledge. We seek more knowledge so that we could know God, so that we could know the will of God, so that we could discern the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. And that word discern, it literally means to test or to prove, So we're trying to test to figure out what is the real true will of God. What does God want in your life? So, you want to know what the will of God is? Know his will. Okay. Sounds really easy, right? Well, I told you a couple weeks ago as we were talking about ministry of the word and prayer that those two things would come up again and again and again throughout this series. And guess what? If you want to know the good, the pleasing, and perfect will of God, open the book and read it. Like, know the book. I know that sounds very elementary and very basic, but how hard do you want to make it? Know the book. God revealed himself. We have his, this is special revelation. Like, God told us who he is, what he's like, how he's enacted throughout history. Let's know who he is. You want to know the will of God? Know the book. And ask God to come, to send his power, send his presence, send his Holy Spirit into your life. Like, ask God to teach you, to guide you, to direct you. So you want to know the will of God? Well, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then live your life as a living sacrifice. So if I was going to advocate for one of these these roots that we've been talking about the last few weeks as a taproot. um, You all know what a taproot is, right? It's the big one that goes right down the middle. It's the one that the others come back into. If I was going to advocate for one as a taproot, I'd probably say ministry of the word. If I couldn't pick that one, I'd say prayer. Because those two disciplines are fundamental to these other disciplines. Until you know who God is through his word and talk to that God, you're probably going to struggle with the others. So know God in his word. If you want to know the will of God so that you can have a changed mind so that you can live your life as a living sacrifice, okay? But this means means that we must know, we must want what God wants more than what we want. We have to lay down our will. Y'all remember what prayer is? Those of you who were here, like the word prayer literally indicates, indicates an exchange of wishes. Like, here's what I wish, and you're picking up what God desires. Like, here's what I want, and you're picking up what God wants. That's what prayer literally indicates. It's an exchange of wishes, laying down our wants and picking up God's wants. As we seek lives that want what God wants, that is how we are transformed. So we need a submissive will if we are going to practice true and biblical worship. Submit our wills to his. So What? Well, I find it interesting, at the end of this, this, these two verses, um, Paul shifts. Paul shifts at the end of these two verses, and he goes from the idea of worship to the concept of body life. Right, afterward, right after this, Paul begins writing about the many parts of the body and how they all comprise one body. And what he's doing is he's connecting this true act of worship, this reasonable service, to the context of the local church. That's what Paul is doing. He's showing that God has gifted each one of us in a different way. Each one of us in a different way. Now, perhaps you're saying, Jared, you you said that worship isn't just music. Well, that's true. But maybe you have a prettier voice than I do, and you believe that God has led you to lead congregational singing. Maybe that is your true act of worship. I don't want to minimize that. Maybe it is. But maybe for you it's something else. Maybe your true act of worship is service, or maybe it's hospitality, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's teaching or preaching, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So I ask you, what is your true act of worship? How has God gifted you to exercise those gifts within the context of the local church and within the context of your community? How has God gifted you to use those things to build up the believers? Now, men, I'm going to challenge groups individually, and some of you might be offended, but i whatever the Bible I think the Bible offends so I'm cool with that I guess okay so man I'm going to challenge you a little bit with your true act of worship today I'm going to challenge you to worship God by leading your family in worship like lead your homes in worship now I've heard some of our men sing so thank God that it's not just singing some of you get that yeah Others of you sing pretty, so I have no issues with you singing over your family or being over your family, but instead your family needs to see your life. You living a life as a living sacrifice. Laying your life down in honor of God. Laying your will down to the will of God. Opening the pages of Scripture. Applying them to your life. Your family needs to see you doing that. They need to know that you're doing that. So men, lead your family in worship. Women, Ladies, you need to lead your children in worship. And you know what the Bible says here in just here in just a, about a month or so? We're going to be wa- walking through the book of Titus here. And you know what Titus says? It says that the older women should teach the younger women. In other words, the older women should train up uh, the younger women in how they should worship. Yeah, that's what Titus teaches. So I'm not saying that, that men have no responsibility in teaching young women. That's not what I'm trying to get at at all. Instead, what I'm trying to say is the primary responsibility there falls on the older women to teach the younger women. That's what Titus says. So, show them what it means to live a life of a, as a living sacrifice. Longing for God's grace in your life as you serve him. And kids, you're not off the hook. I know we still have some of our kids in here. And some of you parents are like, yeah, listen up, he's about to get you. <laughs> And those of you who laughed, you were thinking it, so there we go. Children, you need worship in your lives too. For you, living a life as a living sacrifice may be as simple as willingly and humbly submitting to the authority of your parents. That's a true act of worship. Did you know that? That's what God has called you to do to submit to the authority of your parents. Maybe for you, it's to have, or focus on your work ethic daily whenever you are in school, or maybe it's you're challenging yourself to read your Bible every single day. And by the way, reading the Bible isn't just for adults, it's for Christians. So I don't care if you are seven years old or if you are 107 years old, if you're not reading your Bible, pick it up and start reading it. Like read your Bible. Teens, elementary kids that are in the room, read your Bible. Read it. You want to know who God is? You want to know his will for your life? Pick it up and read it. Okay? So, I'll end with this. I just want to share a little bit from the book of Hebrews, and then I'll, well, I'm not going to promise I'll stop, but I'll get close. The book of Hebrews gives some very practical examples of how we live our lives as a living sacrifice, like what this reasonable act of service is. So, I just want to share this with you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve. Again, this is the word Latreia. Serve, which can also be rendered worship. Serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. See, then the very next verse, the very next verse, the start of Hebrews chapter 13, the very next verse... It starts giving some practical examples of how you can serve or worship. Some very practical examples of how you can do that. He goes through and he lists off brotherly love and hospitality. And then he talks about prison ministries. And then he talks about marital purity. And he talks about keeping your life free from the love of money. Did you know that all of those things, all of those things that I just said are your act of worship? Keeping your life free from the love of money is your true act of worship according to God's word. Keeping your marriage pure... Is your true act of worship according to God's word? That's worship. That's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about worship. Now, uh, this is it, and I'm done. One word of caution you cannot do this on your own. You can't. I don't care how good you think you are, you can't. I know because the Bible says you can't. It actually does take this act of God in your life, which is why in our vision statement we say we want to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. Without God living and breathing in you, I'm sorry, but you're you're not going to be able to worship him in this way. You need God. You need the Holy Spirit if you want to worship biblically, and you can receive him by coming to Jesus. The truth is that we are all sinners which means we deserve hell. We are all sinners deserving of hell because we, inf- we are infinitely short before an infinitely holy God. That's the bad news. The good news is that God loved us so much that Jesus came. Jesus came. He lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved. He was raised three days later, and now he offers you the only life that's truly worth living by placing your faith, by placing your trust, leaning on him in complete and total trust, You can live that life. And that is how you receive this Holy Spirit, and that's how you can be transformed and experience true worship. So I challenge you today, if you don't know Jesus, know him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful for this time together. You gave us more of yourself. And over and over and over, God, it seems like when we need you, you show up. But see, the funny thing is, You were there before we thought we needed you. You were there from the beginning. You're close. Father, and I thank you for that, that we don't have to go wandering around aimlessly just hoping that we fall into knowledge of who you are, but instead we can know you by picking up your word, by reading it, by applying it to our lives. God, I'm thankful that you have made yourself known to us. Lord, we praise you for that. Father, I pray that this this word from your apostle Paul God, I pray that it would change our concept of worship, that we would worship you, as, as John says, in spirit and truth. God, I pray that we would want to follow you with our lives, and we would see every part of our life as an act of true worship, that we would see it as our reasonable service to you, God, and we would render it acceptable. Father, I pray that you would render it acceptable. Lord, I thank you so much that we could gather together around this word. God, I pray that you would make it effective as only you can. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.